Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host Stephen Platt, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, it's Ferris Bueller's day off! That's Woo-hoo. right, he's taken the day off, but we've taken the day on to see his day off. It's turning 35 is the reason that we've decided to watch this uh, comedy classic from 1986. And as always, we have someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, it's Dr. Carmen Dolly. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm great, Dr. Carmen. Uh, how, how is life in the world of, um, of medicine? It's good, yep, it's good. Uh, Lots of vaccines, fitting vaccines in with our general preventative health stuff. Get your vaccine. And that's all I'll say. <laughs> no, that's that's absolutely fair. And yeah, I'm, I'm just going to back that up. If you are in the nation of Australia and you are over the age of 30 now, um, you're currently available. It depends state by state. It actually. depends state yeah. by state. I think in Northern Territory, if you're over the age of 16 or 18. Mm. Anyway. Check, check your guidelines. Yeah. Check your local guides. <laughs> get vaccinated, please. And thank you. Um, you've not seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. No, I have not. We were just saying, I don't think I've seen it at the very least. I do not remember seeing it. So okay. I will be interested to watch it. So what, what do you know about the film? Um, Matthew Broderick, mm-hmm. I believe. And I think there was a Simpsons episode that was very heavily based on it, which, mm. again, I do not remember much of. That's kind of about it. <laughs> okay. I, I feel like I'm in a similar boat where I I think I've seen this film, but it, but it was so long ago. That, that it's just not stuck around for whatever reason. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see. Um, wh- when was the last time you took a day off? Where you where you skived? I suppose because this is a where film. Skived? This is a film about skiving. This is someone, mm. you know. Oh, I'm not meant to have this day off, but I am. <laughs> um, so, when was the last time you skived? Officially or unofficially? Let's go officially. Officially, <laughs> yeah. um, probably when I was a medical student. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, I really shouldn't say. In <laughs> emergency department rotations, and you had to technically do night shifts uh, mm. when you're in the emergency department and had to get signed off on them. Um, but my team was very nice, and they would sign off on me after about half an hour or so and then go, okay, go home, have the day off or have the night off. Um, so I didn't do a lot of night shifts as a med student, which was great. Excellent. Um, so I think, that would, I think that would be the last time I, I took a skive off, I would say. Excellent. Okay, well, joining us uh, is someone who has seen the film, and I'm assuming has skived off here and there. It is Murray Jackson. Oh, I was a very good boy, actually, Stephen. I'm not sure I did a lot of skiving off. but You did uh, all your emergency department night shifts? Oh, de- oh definitely. <laughs> the, the, I, I think I covered your shifts, actually. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Uh, no, but I, I, I do enjoy vicariously um, living through other people's skiving. So, okay. Uh, Mm. When when do you think the last time you actually skived off was? Oh gosh, um, yeah, I'm I I probably skive off all the time, Stephen. I I work from home, mm. so you know I can uh, uh, basically drop a couple of hours work and then go. Hmm. Well, I, I I might just go to Bunnings, or I might go to IKEA. Or, yeah, it, it's yeah. it's a little difficult. It's, it's so exciting in my lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is a little difficult to skive off when you when you do work from home. Um, I've I've certainly found that in the last year where I've done work from home. Mm. It doesn't have the same thrill. <laughs> no, that's it. Yeah, there's no one to sort of share that with, is there? No, mm. I think the last time I skived off um, was in primary school. Uh, but it was my parents who let me skive off the first half of the day because um, they had managed to arrange for me to meet Craig Charles from Red Ooh. Dwarf oh, nice. as like a 10-year-old. 
Uh, long story short, folks, before we get to Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, <laughs> when I was about nine, ten years old, I loved Craig Charles because he hosted Robot Wars and was in Red Dwarf, which were like the two biggest, most important things to a ten-year-old boy in the late 90s. Um, and he came to where we lived on the Isle of Man and was doing some very adult stand-up that I obviously couldn't go to. But mum uh, very nicely got in touch with his agent, was like, you know, I've got a son, he really liked Craig, can we meet him? And Craig Charles agreed to go to the airport half an hour early so I could chat with him for half an hour before he flew out to go back to England. That was the last time I skived off. And I was like, I can't skive off again because nothing will top that. No, that's, <laughs> that's pretty, good. That yeah. pretty good. I, I did get invited to leave school for essentially skiving off. Oh, yeah. Does that count? I suppose that counts. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just dropped three of my subjects and and took them as study periods. Mm. And was told by the dean I couldn't do that. Oh. I'd have to take three more or or leave school. So yeah, mm. it kind of counts. That kind of counts. Kind of counts. Um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm. Um, in a vague, non-spoilery sort of way, aside from skiving, what what's this film about? Can I hijack this podcast for two minutes? Oh, go for it. Okay. So look, I was a teen when this came out. And I saw this at the movies. That's how old I actually am. Um, and growing up as a, as, a, as a teen in the 80s was really dull. We were disenfranchised, man. Mm. We really were. Mm. Um, you know, you'd, uh, you'd say, oh, well, I'm off to a party on the weekend. Well, <laughs> don't have sex. Why not? AIDS? Oh, okay. No sex. All right. Okay. Well, I, I suppose we'll just, you know, have a bit to drink and, and... Oh, no, 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 drinking. No, no, no drugs. No, there's a war on drugs. Oh, that's out too. Oh, God. Okay, well, oh, maybe I won't go. I'll just shut myself in my room and listen to my music. Well, what kind of music? Has it got a parental advisory sticker on it? Oh, I can't do that either. God. So, I mean, we really were, I think, the generation that was disenfranchised it was really dull growing up in the 80s there wasn't xbox there wasn't the internet you couldn't have sex you couldn't do drugs and we couldn't even listen to our goddamn music not that it was that great in the 80s anyway mm. um and we were being told by people who had probably grown up in the 60s at the height of sleep around and take psychedelic drugs mm. Uh, not to do these things, not to mention the fact that, you know, we were within five minutes of nuclear war every day, mm. um, growing up in the sort of, you know, the Cold War times. Uh, yeah, there wasn't a great deal to look forward to as, as, as teenagers. So Ferris Days Bueller, I think to a certain degree, captures that. Mm. And it's directed by John Hughes, um, who really filled the niche uh, for well, teenagers in the 80s as, as far as cinematic offerings because it really, until John Hughes came along, there wasn't a great deal of, of material out there in, in cinema mm. that really um, resonated mm. with, with young people. And then he came along and he, you know, he just spewed out film after film after film. Mm. Um, and God bless him because uh, they were great. Ferris... Bueller's Day Off is a little bit different in that um, most of his films have a, you know, a fair amount of drama as well as comedy. Ferris Bueller, I think, really just goes for the, the, the comedy element of it. Mm. Um, there's not a great deal of teen angst in there in, mm. in this particular film. But if you look closely, you sort of get the idea of what I'm talking about. This, this feeling of emptiness, this feeling of boredom, 
um, and, 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 you know, what's it all about anyway, mm-hmm. growing up in, in the 80s as a, as, a, as a young teen. So, you know, it's, it's in my top, you know, probably my top two uh, teen films of the 80s. Um, I love it to death. The performances are just fantastic. Um, in addition to Matthew Broderick, you've got Jeffrey Jones, who just about steals the movie as mm. Principal Rooney. Um, you've got uh, the gorgeous Mia Sarah, um, who I had a huge crush on at the time, playing Ferris's girlfriend. Alan Ruck, who a lot of people might recognise from the comedy Spin City in the 90s, mm. uh, who was actually 30 years old when he made this film. But he's playing one of the kids. I <laughs> he's playing yeah. one of the kids. He's playing <laughs> Ferris's very depressed um, best friend. Mm. Um, and you've got Jennifer Grey as Ferris's sister, um, and she was like a year away from hitting the big time with Dirty Dancing. So mm. you've got a really good cast, and... Put into that the, the the magic ingredient of John Hughes, and this is a film that's really difficult to dislike. Right. Well, that's that's an incredible pump up. So, uh, with all that being said, shall we watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Indeed. Let's do it. Okay. For those of you listening at home, pop in those DVDs, load up those streaming services, and prepare to write out your sick notes so you can watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We've just finished watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and by we, I of course mean Murray Jackson. Rooney! And Dr. Carmen Dolly. Hello! So, Dr. Carmen, that was your first time watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes, it was. I had not seen it before. Mm-hmm. I realised as we were watching it that, no, this was entirely new to me. So, what did you think of it? It was good. Um, and when I was when I was watching it, I was thinking, like, this is this is the film equivalent of a vanilla milkshake. It's just perfectly fine and inoffensive and just mm. very wholesome and fits well with a lot of different occasions yeah yeah, yeah. And that's i think that's a pretty good way of putting it <laughs> uh because yeah i enjoyed this i would now like a vanilla milkshake now that you've said that but <laughs> that's okay I'll, I'll live without it for at least the next hour um yeah it, it, it had been a very long time since i'd watched this film and so i'd forgotten quite a lot of it mm. but not in a oh, i forgot it because it was forgetful kind of way just it's been a long time it's 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 very enjoyable. And uh, Murray, I don't know when when did you last watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off? I can't really recall, Stephen. It, it's a film that I've I've returned to, you know, on the odd occasion over the years. Um, look, I, I, I wouldn't suggest for a moment it's a, a film that I just you know rush to drag out every anniversary or whatever. Um, but it, I, I, every time I watch it, it, it does kind of take me back to what it was like, you know, being. A, a teen in 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 the eighties, mm. it, it probably resonates for me more than it might for for others. I imagine. Yeah, but I, I think the the um, the framing that you you gave in the first part of this program, where you talked about the experience of being a teenager in the eighties and what that was like, I think this film does capture a lot of that really quite nicely. Where mm. not so much through Ferris, who is this mm. sort of ultimate escapist character but through every other teenager in the film well particularly cameron mm, you know, yeah that that and and um a scene i actually found quite poignant it's the one where they're in the art gallery and he's staring at the 
at the painting mm. and he's just getting drawn in. Um, I, I don't know, just for me, it's it quite poignant and touching um, to sort of, you know, see this kid um, just probably thinking to himself, you know, what's it all about? What am I going to do next? Where, where, you know, what's life going to be about? Uh, probably reading too much into it, but I think Hughes does try to drop those things into his into his films um, mm, mm. about how disaffected the you know the youth of that day felt. Yeah, I, I, I do have to say that the, the art gallery scene is probably the most um, reproduced from this film, which which has been sort of repurposed in pop culture stuff, as Cam was saying before about um, it being in The Simpsons and things like that. Mm. Like, there's aspects of this and and the people going to the art gallery and looking at the paintings is probably the thing that I've seen the most. It's a great little scene, though. Um, and it's it, 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 for me, it felt strangely poignant in the middle of what is otherwise a good but fairly atypical 80s uh, teen film. Mm. And mm. It, was, it was really lovely. Um, particularly, yeah, as you say, Cameron making the connection to um, the the painting he was watching the the uh, a Sunday afternoon mm. on the island of the, the little girl yeah. the, the little girl sort of lost in the middle of that painting and now he was sort of mirroring that um, himself yeah and uh, also the the way they were shot both the paintings mm. and then the characters observing the paintings where it was a little bit fun when they were all stood with their arms crossed in various uh, degrees back from <laughs> the painting but then the way that Cameron himself was framed within that painting and wearing the red sports jersey that he was wearing and the contrast of that with the painting it, it felt obviously it's a film it's deliberate but it felt very um crafted well you say it's deliberate and I, I i look at that scene and i think to myself how much of that was crafted and script and how much of that was just hughes putting the characters there and saying let's see what happens organically from this mm. um I, that's that's one of the things i think with hughes films is he casts very well um so he's working with some really good uh, actors who can just create something from nothing mm. and i think there's a lot of that in his films where what might otherwise be a very ordinary scene in the hands of another director becomes something a little bit more and a little bit more resonant because he's got a really good cast to work with mm. The plot of this film is relatively simple. Ferris mm. decides to bunk off school. That's mm. that's it. That, that's the plot, basically. But And seems to have all the tools at his hands. I mean, yeah, it, in a sense... It stretches believability. I'll, I'll put that out there. Yeah, It's impressive. Yeah, and in a sense, Carmen, I don't know if you felt this as well as, as the first-time viewer, but the very beginning of the film felt a little bit like Home Alone. Like, yes, like it, it felt, yes, actually, yeah. Yeah, like he, he's got all these tools and is weirdly like uniquely uh, i guess optimized mm. to to skive off from school like the, to yeah. the point where he's like hacking into the school computer and deleting yeah, his absentee yeah. days that bit and the bit with the dummy in the bed mm. did feel very home alone yeah um and also the bit where he's in the shower and he's like making a mohawk like that that seems mm. something very much like uh is it kevin McAllister? yeah 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 it seems very much like something he would do mm. and, and repeated in um lost boys as well mm. with cory hames yeah character in the bath that's right yeah, it's a lot of those films yeah. in that time period with uh, the male protagonists. Just... So someone did it and then the other directors mm. went, that's a good idea, I'll <laughs> do that in my film as well. Yeah. Um, Carmen, as the first time viewer, what, what did you think of Ferris? Um, 
I mean, it's weird seeing Matthew Broderick that young, for one thing. Mm. Um, and I was trying to work out, you know, how, how old is he? And he, he looks a lot younger than he actually is. Mm. In terms of a character... Um, you know, I didn't. I didn't have anything against him. I thought he was fine. I did sort of empathize more with Cameron mm. or the sister, maybe. Um, but I thought he was like a fun character. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think. I didn't think there was anything offensive about him or anything I disliked about him. It was mm. just sort of I liked other char- characters more. Yeah, he 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 is very uh, one note. But, yeah, but as the, I suppose. Um, escapist narrator character that works yeah and um I, I think it only works though because you have these other characters as you say like cameron and um genie who are going through actual character, character changes <laughs> and things throughout the film where yeah cameron's story is is really really quite lovely um and very sad at the same time um and and i i don't mm. know how common it is from films from this time period to sort of showcase a character with depression the way they showcase Cameron at the start of this film. Well, I think that um, a lot of it has to do with the fact that it is, you know, it's an 80s, a late 80s film or mid to late 80s film. And you've got to remember at that time, um, it was, you know, Reaganomics and, and um, you know, the, 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 the whole idea was, you know, once again, stealing from another film, Wall Street, you know, greed is good. It was all about rampant consumerism, mm. um, and and that's you know sort of his story, isn't it? His parents are are more consumed with accumulating nice things and wealth mm. than they are about caring for their for their kid. Mm. And yeah, th- his his home set- setup was very interesting. Just just the way it was this, I suppose, quite modern for the time mm. structure, but out in the middle of nature and and the garage having windows and things like that. Like it was a very um, interesting and i think good choice from from the production team to to have cameron because it really felt like he was in a little prison uh and i I think it's partly because of the boxy nature of the house but the fact that it's also surrounded by all these trees and nature and it feels very out of place um yeah he's very good is is alan uh alan alan rock Rock, yeah. yeah as 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 cameron he's yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm very. I'm very impressed with him. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a shame that his career never really went to any great heights after this. You know, he did do Spin City for what five seasons or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last thing I saw him in was a, a really woeful um, exploitation horror flick uh, where he played a sheriff. And I, th- I think he ended up dying. I can't recall. It wasn't very memorable. Mm. And thinking to myself, oh God, that's a wasted talent, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Because his mannerisms and his his expressions, um, and the, the, just the way he reacts off Matthew Broderick in this, I mean, I really, I think it makes the film. Yeah, mm. I guess because he's not really looking at him, he's not really sort of a classic leading man sort of sort mm. of thing. So it's kind of hard to mm. sort he's, of build he's t- his career tall and what, awkward, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, from what he was doing here, this is pretty much mostly what he could do, I suppose. And mm. building on that would be difficult. It almost feels like. He's that much of a of a loser as he would believe himself to be that he's not even the protagonist in his own film because he's really more the classic antagonist type figure in these sorts of films where it's you know the character who is learning to stand up to a father figure or a parental figure, but I think it's really interesting that we we never see the father we never mm. see Morris we we never actually see those interactions because we sort of don't need to 
in, in a sense. And I think framing that story, but where we're really following it from Ferris's perspective, who is this Mary Sue, basically. Where, he's, you know, a, every, he's a force of nature, yeah, really, isn't he? But he's also someone that says that he wants to help Cameron and I think is, is actively trying to help him throughout the film, even though a lot of the time helping him helps himself and also a lot mm. of the time I think he's got quite misguided ideas of how to help someone. Yeah. I think he's I think Ferris is genuinely trying to help him with with the actions that he takes. Well, I think he he helps him in the way that he would like to be helped himself, which is not necessarily how Cameron should be helped, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I I don't know if you're meant to really like Ferris all that much in this in this film i don't i don't think that's the, the point of it um i i don't think you're meant to look at the character of ferris and go oh yeah i envy i envy that i envy that confidence and yeah. i envy mm-hmm. the ability to do whatever the heck i want the ferris character is simply setting up um the series of events for the other actors in the film to sort of react to mm. in in my that's my estimation anyway yeah um, yeah. and drawing out all these beautiful performances and, and characterizations. Well, I think the other thing with um, Cameron's story arc as well, which I found a bit frustrating, was we never actually saw the end of it. We never actually mm. saw how his parents reacted or you mm. know how he dealt with all that fallout and what happened after that. And I would have liked to have seen that maybe as like an end credit scene or something like that. Ferris Bueller's second day off. Yeah. Yeah. A sequel. I, 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 yeah. I feel like that would have been something I would have liked to have seen. Yeah, I, I agree to a point where I'm like, I'm curious now to see what would have happened, but, mm. but Cameron... He was sent to military school, let's, let's yeah, be honest, yeah. that's what happened. Yeah, you destroyed the Ferrari, right, that's it, you're going in the army. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> I, I do think, particularly that, that final scene with Cameron where he's, he's kicking the car, I, I, I don't know that there's anywhere else sort of emotionally you can go to with how much that built and how much that, clim- that climax there where he's gotten to the point where he's going to make... He's made that decision. He's made that decision to stand mm. up to his father. Well, the car becomes a metaphor for his father, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, and I almost feel as though, yeah, if we saw the interaction with the father, it would be repeating the kicking the car down the ravine scene again. Yeah, uh, as, as much as I'd love to have seen just what would have happened and what where that character went from there mm. and I, I, I i'm a little bit curious about where like ferris and sloan would have gone as well particularly you know given that, that ferris is uh, by the end of the film not going to be held back a year in high school mm. um as as uh, rooney was threatening um but i am curious about yeah what what happens well, to you, you sort of get an, a feeling there that the three of them recognize that they really are this is a this is a goodbye in a way that this particular year mm. Um, yeah, I think Cameron actually even states that um, at at one point towards the end there, mm-hmm. but yeah, and and then um, Ferris when the, the the scene where Cameron's catatonic is sort of talking about what will happen mm. going forward, mm. which really jars when Sloane's going, you know, he and he will marry me or or something to that effect. You're like, oh. Have you two had a conversation about this yet? <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that they laid that in because obviously with Ferris bringing it up earlier in the film and in a sort of joking but not joking kind of way, I think it's interesting that they've sort of hinted that, oh no, these two might hmm. try and stick it out because obviously their concern is the fact that she's got another year in high school. Honestly, him being held back might have actually helped mm. because then he'd have an extra year in that same environment. 
But it's funny as well because he talks about Cameron. Oh, I'm sure Cameron's just going to marry the first woman you mm. know he sees, and then it's like, well, you're you're kind of hinting at the same thing for yourself here. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's a little weird how there's sort of that double standard going yeah, on as well. You, you do get the feeling that Ferris has been a bit of a player in, yeah. in his day, so mm. he he he's not settling for the first woman he's come across. Maybe. True. True. Um. I I think the other character whose little arc shines out in this hall, who I, I really enjoy the performance that I, I had forgotten, but I really enjoyed watching it this time around, is Jennifer Graves, the sister. Mm. Mm. Um, very easy to talk about Jeffrey Jones as Rooney, but just that, you know, she didn't have a great deal to do in this film. Um, you know, look exasperated and, and cheesed off, but mm. I thought she did it so well. She was a really great sort of... Um, is, is she meant to be older than... Ferris, or did they ever establish? Not really spoken, is it? Yeah, you sort of get the feeling she possibly Maybe. might be. Yeah, it gets the. I, I get the feeling that. But if this is Ferris's last year of school, yeah, yeah, okay, maybe. Maybe she's they're twins. Mm. Could be, could be. But I, I do like the idea of that sort of sibling. She felt older to me, just because. Yeah. Maybe because she was set up as a little bit of an antagonist, and you know, it's that kind of thing of. Um, you know the sibling rivalry thing uh, particularly i think because of the way that ferris was being sort of molly coddled by his parents in mm. the beginning um it feels maybe if she's the forgotten child <laughs> yeah but i, I would strike that would strike me as ferris maybe being like the youngest and yeah. the one that still gets treated baby like but you know families are weird they do all sorts <laughs> of strange things um but uh, yeah you're right i really enjoyed jennifer gray um i, I think and i th- i weirdly was not expecting the, the scene with charlie sheen to be quite good because <laughs> I knew he was going to be in this film um, but it was yeah that that whole thing where he essentially says well here's your problem here's your your deal you need to be looking at yourself I'm like yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right drugged mm. out Charlie Sheen in a police station I'd really like to know when when he made Platoon and when he made this which came first because I get the feeling that um, uh, Oliver Stone might have seen the early rushes for this and went that kid's got a really good thousand yard stare i'll put him in my war film Mm. well um platoon was released the same year as this so Mm. it's tricky to know um which one was being filmed i do happen to know that charlie sheen because it's in the trivia coming up um did basically like a day of filming on this and he was in the middle of filming something else and sort of snuck out but he um he in order to get into that sort of drugged out sort of state didn't sleep for 48 hours before filming the scene so he's like desperately trying to stay awake took it took, took, that took, makes total mm, sense yeah. took a vial of tiger blood before he sat yeah. down <laughs> yeah but yeah I, I i do think it's she, jennifer does a lot with not with not much not much yeah. Like, yeah like that she is very interesting and she could easily be uh Sort of like a Candice from Phineas and Ferb. That, that is what I was thinking yeah. as we watched it. I was like, oh, she's like Candice. Yeah. Mm. But for a film that's very light on plot, um, this uh, the whole film is built around some really lovely performances. Uh, mm. Rooney's, um, you know, secretary, um, Grace. Mm. Um, you know, that, what a what a great little cameo that is. Mm. And and just the little physical mannerisms and things that she does. Yeah, um, yeah. Eddie McClurg, mm. um, who we we've only just spoken about a couple of weeks ago as the um, car rental lady in planes, trains, and automobiles, mm. <laughs> playing almost that exact same character, but she has more scenes in this, and she's great. 
Yeah, just pulling pencils out of her hair. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And even just the teachers, uh, you know, they're in it for like a minute or two minutes. And yeah. They do a great job. Yeah, Ben Stein is the economics. Mm. Just yeah. he, he feels almost a little bit Jeff Goldblumy, where he's like, it's the great, what is it? Depression. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's lovely. And yeah. I don't know who the other teacher is. Yeah, the, the Sloane's teacher. teacher. Yeah. yeah. Sloane's teacher, he, I don't recognize the guy off the top of my head, but he has been in a lot of um, mm. genre films. So the, I, the, I've seen him in horror films, I'm sure. The actor's name was uh, Del Close, mm. um, who was, um, along with being a, an actor in career and film, was a... Uh, premier influence on modern improvisational theatre, uh, oh. according to his Wikipedia page. There mm. you go, Stephen. You should. Uh, I should know, should know that name. <laughs> yes, I should know who he is. But yes, uh, Del Close, uh, sadly no longer with us. Oh. But uh, but what a brilliantly boring teacher. He yeah, played. I was like, oh my god. The prison, chalk, 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 <laughs> represents the yeah god oh, it was so good and i again i it's, it's that thing that i think this film does really well which is layering in that experience of what being a teenager in the 80s was like what going to school in america in the 80s was like where mm. it's not fun particularly when you know you've got a city like chicago where you've got random german parades and, and art museums art museums and... And, and just all these you know go to the top of the the sears tower and look down and you know driving around ferraris and you know even the valets are getting in on it and things like that like i, I can yeah I, I think i can really get it's quite interesting that because this is right in the height of, of as you said reaganomics and and that sort of idea of mass consumerism school itself is not a consumerist act and being young and excluded from your main social settings which are being sold to you constantly through the media and other things as being like this is what you want to do you want to be doing the fun things you want to be going out you want to be spending money you want to be eating Mm. out and all these kind of things Mm. but for five days a week you've got to be stuck in a boring underfunded school where you've got really boring teachers it makes sense Mm. that that it's it's got this this appeal and that this escapism presented by ferris and through the film really works well, I think mm. that tying into that as well is interesting, like uh, the way they talk about school subjects in it as well. He's like, mm. oh, you know, I've got a test on socialism in Europe and, mm. you know, I don't care about Europe. I'm not a European. I don't plan on being one. It's like school itself seems like a very disenfranchising thing. Mm. You know, everything they talk about, they talk about economics in the Great Depression and some symbolism in a novel mm. and irony or something like that. And it's just like it, it makes, again, it, it ties into that thing of it's it's a very it doesn't include the kids at all. It's not inclusive. It's, mm. it's very isolating and um, like very depriving compared to, you know, the, the culture outside of school. Yeah. It's a, and that's a, a, a kind of a recurring theme in, in um, well, at least one of other uh, Hughes' other films, The Breakfast Club, mm. where, you know, the, 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 the school is basically a prison, you know, <laughs> and, and that the teachers are just, um, are just, creatures that they that the mm. kids can't uh, identify with yeah. and i think um, it's interesting the, even the way this film is shot even though that's not as much of the point like when mm. um we see the kids doing the sports practice and they're being shot from behind the fence but it looks prison-like mm. because you've got the, the sports teacher going go on faster kowalski or those kind of things like it, it does look prison-like in its presentation and even taking out um, Sloane to meet her father, uh, where when um, Dean Rooney has to do that, it feels very much like when um, 
in the Blues Brothers when Jane gets thrown <laughs> out of prison. It's, like, it's it it is weird how it's it's very sort of subtly woven in well, there. You know, it, it's it's that recurring theme once again that that of this generational disconnection, um, and it's even little things like you know Ferris says, you know, "I wanted a car. What did I get? I got a computer." Mm. You know, my my parents don't understand me at yeah. all. That that was really what I wanted. They got me this thinking this would satisfy me. How mm. much do they really know me? Mm. Um, I'm probably overselling the message thing no, here, I, but, but no, I, I think, so. think there sense. is that, as I say, once again, a theme that, that Hughes has. And that's why his films, I think, resonated so much with young people in the 80s. Was, mm. you know, here was an adult, but he gets it. He gets the fact that we feel disconnected from our parents, mm. that we're bored and we don't understand what our future really is mm. in this environment. You know, we're not motivated by things like money or mm. or um, or power or anything along those lines. We just want to be kids. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the really great things this film does is establish uh, an antagonist that, that meets sort of the opposite of those goals in... Um, Jeffrey Jones as Ed Rooney, who we've managed to go half an hour without talking about. How good is Dean Rooney? He's, he's just, very good. Oh, he's he's just every time Jeffrey Jones comes up in a film, we always have to do the caveat of it's a shame he got done for. I mean, it's not a shame he got arrested and done for breaking the law. It's a shame that he, he chose that. To, that he did that. Yeah, that mm. he that he engaged in those things. And if you don't know it. You can look it up. But basically, Jeffrey Jones had appeared in a lot of films until he didn't. And it was obviously yeah. because he got caught. But moving just sort of away from that, he's very good in this. Like he he's, is, yeah. yeah. He's just super... It's partly his it's face. It's the face, yeah. yeah. Mm. The, the sort of the nose, which the way it sticks out when he's got his <laughs> side profile, like when he hears the dog moving and it's just the movement of the eyes. <laughs> and he has what I, I, I refer to, and uh, uh, apologies for, for using the language, he has that shit-eating shit grin mm. on his yes. face. Yeah. It does remind me a lot of um, Pam Ferris's performance in Matilda, actually. Yes. Um, yeah. Which obviously, you know, came 10 years later, but very, very similar performances and both very good performances, but almost, almost chewing the scenery, but just to that right amount. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very enjoyable. It, it is very enjoyable, and he's just so villainous. Yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's he's the villain, isn't he? Um, mm. Which which makes it all you know. Every time he gets his pants kicked or you know, um, literally kicked in the face by uh, by Genie, mm. um, you just cheer inwardly. You cheer. Yeah, and and also he he does the the really great thing that I think villains in these sorts of stories do, which is he goes from being all bark to being no bite mm. as soon as he's confronted with a piece of information <laughs> like when he thinks that he actually is abusing Sloane's father on the phone just that the musical sting yeah. and the close-up on his eyes and the oh, I'm so sorry mister I can't <laughs> tell you how embarrassed I am <laughs> call me sir yes sir like he's and then the, the thing that I think Jeffrey Jones does really well in this film and that the maitre d also does really well um is they get confronted with uh something that seems out of place they then get information that justifies it but then something follows it up after they've given in that makes them question it again but now they're too cowtown to do anything um like that was, that was a great little performance too the maitre d yeah just, just had all those little bird-like 
gestures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it was... For some reason, I was thinking it was like Neil Patrick Harris. He looked like Neil Patrick but Harris. But I was like, no, Neil Patrick Harris would have been way too young. Mm. He would have been. To be, to he, be he was too young character. to be Dougie Hauser. Yeah, exactly. shortly. Um, yeah, no. Um, the, the maitre d' uh, was an actor named uh, Jonathan Schmock. Uh, was was his name? Unfortunate name. Yes. Yeah. Um, who fits him very well though. But yeah, what a yeah. great performance. Yeah, he was he was absolutely superb. Um, he's been in lots of television since then. Okay. And, uh, Good for him. Also works as a writer and editorial cartoonist. Even better. So mm. yeah, great stuff. But yeah, now he was just again just the right. He, he's like, be warned, or I might get snooty. Like, it was, <laughs> and, yeah, really, really. And he did that little wrinkle with his nose. Yeah, <laughs> snooty. Just, just some lovely stuff. Um. I really enjoyed the the end sequence of this film with um, Ferris and Jeannie chasing, like racing to get home first, and you know Ferris running through just garden after garden, and, like just going for all these like great little comedy vignettes. I'm amazed uh, how well he knew all the backyards. Yeah, in his suburb, apparently. Mm. It feels uh, like he may have done this before. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, just the whole uh, oh that smells good, dinner's ready, like that <laughs> kind of stuff. Just just really fun. Um, whilst having that little bit of little bit of zhuzh of peril that maybe yeah. the film needed in its final act. Um, and then Bruni being there at the back doorstep was... was I wasn't expecting that. I, I thought he was he was gone. I thought we maybe weren't going to see him again. Um, and yeah, him having the key was was just great. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, Jeannie's little turn at the end where, yeah, she's like... I, I think it's really interesting. Oh, she's had a good day. She's so. had a good yeah. day. Yeah. She got to make out with a drugged out Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the top of anyone's day. But 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 she has had that revelation, and I do like that her own sort of personal revelation means that she isn't going to sell Ferris out, even though she did race him home. Like it's it's almost as though in that time she had time to reflect. Or maybe she just. Saw well, she it. she was swayed by Charlie Sheen's um, mm-hmm. argument. It's it's not him. It's you. Yeah, and then also the fact that it was Rooney who was breaking into the house. Yeah. <laughs> Probably yeah. helps as Which, well. Which oddly enough, she didn't recognise as the guy she'd kicked in the face. Yeah. But you let these things go in yeah. films. Did did she not recognise him? No. Because she then turned around and was like, "I have your wallet." Yeah, well, yeah, maybe you're right. I mean, I don't think she recognised him when she when she him was in the doing face. it. Mm, no. Which is once again strange. Yeah. Mm. Well, you know, someone's Dean in your of house. students. Yeah, fear fear takes over in those situations. Yeah. <laughs> Don't really think. Yeah, she got that like we're, we're trying to explain away a film in which any number of events could not <laughs> could possibly not. have happened. Yeah. True. Yeah, yeah True. that that brass band new twist and shout very very suddenly but looks good. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's pretty fun though. It's 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 a really nice it is. It's the vanilla. Mil- it's the vanilla milkshake <laughs> of films, Carmen. I think you summed it up perfectly at the Yay. beginning. It's just, yeah, it's lovely. So would I, th- you got- I think I think um, he, John Hughes in this one tried to take a little bit of a break from his angsty, messagey teen yeah, films, like his- which yeah. which all have e- elements of comedy in them. Um, and he just went, you know, let's just make a fun film. Yeah, mm. it's it's not quite as serious as something like Breakfast Club or Sixteen Candles, but it's. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Mm. It's still a good film. Would you guys like some trivia about Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Dazzle me. <laughs> okay, uh, prepare to be dazzled, because all of this trivia is sourced from IMDb, so if it's not true, don't blame me. Uh, during the parade, several of the people dancing, including the construction worker and the window washer, had nothing to do with the film. Um, they were simply dancing to the music being played, and John Hughes found it so humorous that he told the camera operators to record them. 
So yeah, the, the the builders I knew, I didn't realize the window washer was just an actual window washer because he was going for it. He was he was well into that, it. That whole um, choreographed bit with the dancing, I'm I'm pretty sure that might have been just a little bit of a shout out he made to the Blues Brothers. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, twist and shout out. It was yeah, <laughs> which had a very similar choreographed scene in it. So. Yeah. Mm. Um, Cindy Pickett and Lyman Ward, who played Ferris's parents and just have tremendous 80s American names, <laughs> um, married in real life after filming this film. Oh, there you oh. go. Uh, sadly, they later divorced in 1992. So oh. Oh. it didn't last long. But yeah, Matthew Broderick just sort of lulled them in and they went, you know what? Let's get married. <laughs> and adopt Matthew Broderick. Yes. And then they realized he was just using him the whole time and the marriage broke down. Um, First Lady Barbara Bush paraphrased this film in her 1990 commencement address at uh, Willesley College. Quote, find the joy in life, because as Ferris Bueller said on his day off, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. End quote. Responding to the audience's enthusiastic applause, she added, I'm not going to tell George you clap more for Ferris than you clap for him. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny because she was pretty much an embodiment of what this film was raging against yeah yeah Yeah, well she was i do feel as though she was ever so slightly toned down from what nancy reagan was Mm, though very much like yeah i feel like just say no yeah Yeah, nancy reagan more of nancy reagan absolutely wouldn't have liked this film i don't think whereas barbara bush she was like okay she's a conservative grandma but she's a little bit of a cool conservative grandma (laughs) just a tiny bit maybe well she had to put up with george jr's misdeeds and his views didn't she didn't she? Yeah. She was probably like, you know what? God has taught me something through George and Jeb. I'm, <laughs> I'm learning patience <laughs> as I get older. Um, ben Stein was exceptionally moved by the film, calling it, quote, the most life-affirming movie possibly <laughs> in the entire post-war period. This is to comedies what Gone with the Wind is to epics. That's a very good Ben Stein. Mm, thank you. I've, <laughs> I've been trying to just let all things I care about leave me. Um, he went on to say, it will never die because it responds to... Anyone. And calls anyone. forth anyone. Such human emotions. <laughs> it isn't dirty. There's nothing mean-spirited about it. There's nothing sneering or sniggering about it. It's just wholesome. We want to be free. He goes on for a bit. I'm not going to read the whole <laughs> thing. But basically, Ben Stein was just super thrilled to be um, in this film, to That's be involved good. with it. Um, uh, yeah, but it says, yeah, it's the comedy equivalent of um, Gone with the Wind. Well, it's, it's, that's very mm. big. Yeah, yeah I, I'd say that's a bit of a stretch mm. but i mean gone with the wind is not a perfect film by any means no so but, maybe... but in terms of what gone with the wind did for epics yeah i suppose yeah. I, I don't know if ferris bueller had that same impact for comedies but it, I mean, it, it's massively influential we were mm. talking mm. about the simpsons when it finished mm. we talked about deadpool mimicking the the film's over go home where they recreate the set and put um ryan reynolds as deadpool in in the, in the dressing gown but but I wouldn't say it's as had as big an impact in its field as Gone with the Wind did. No, mm. it was very big at the time, um, and, and probably because it was you know, very rare for an actor to break the fourth wall. Mm. So it was an unusual film mm. for its mm. time. Uh, speaking of the Blues Brothers, um, there is a connection. Ah, 
the restaurant where Ferris and company go to eat is the same one that Jake and Elwood terrorize. Oh, how much for the little girl? How much for your women? I want to buy them. Yes, uh, it is also the same restaurant from St. Elmo's Fire, where oh. Kirby waits for Dale. The 80s restaurant du jour. It is, yes. You've you've got to go there. Uh, Shermer High School is the same high school in Weird Science, 16 Candles, and The Breakfast Club. (laughs) Of course it is. So, yeah. It feels as though John Hughes is like, eh, let's just use this one again. (laughs) Uh, So there were several actors considered for the role of Ferris Bueller. Um, So I'm just going to list them off. This is mid-80s. Whether or not they're better than Matthew Broderick is not really what we're questioning. It's more, do you think they could have done a good job? Can, can I guess who's on the list? Yeah, sure. Uh, Michael J. Fox? Yep, he's he's the last one on the list. Uh, Scott Baio? Uh, no, Scott Baio. No, be too old. old. Corey Feldman? Uh, too young. Too young, no. Too young. He's uh, not here. I got one at three. You did, yeah. <laughs> uh, Michael J. Fox, you know, yeah, this is yeah, that around Back to the Future time. He would have done Back to the Future already, but... Mm. No. I, I'm I'm struggling to think. Uh, possibly John Cryer. No, John Cryer. There is another John though. Uh, John Cusack. John Cusack. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, whose career was taking off at that time. I reckon he could have done it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, some of the other. Well, actors, he did High Fidelity. Oh, true. Same sort of thing. So he kind yeah. of did it. <laughs> I, I would say. Um, I, I think I think John Cusack could have done it quite well. I think I think maybe he would have been a better fit than Michael J. Fox. He would have yeah, been would've, probably would've a little more deadpan, yeah, than Matthew Broderick. Matthew yeah. Broderick's in this performance. He's kind of got that winking, knowing about him. Yeah, he's he's having a little subtle wink to the camera every mm. time, mm. but. I think I think that works really well, actually. Mm. Uh, some of the other actors that were considered: uh, Rob Lowe. <laughs> okay. Yep. <laughs> Could have been interesting. Uh, Jim Carrey. I didn't know he was really a, much of a star at that time. Well, he wasn't. He no, was. Probably... He was doing a comedy series on TV called The Duck Factory, hmm. um, where he okay. played an animator, and it was a couple of years before In Living Colour. Hmm. So right. he, he was sort of starting to get noticed. Hmm. Uh, Johnny Depp. Oh God. Oh no. No, he couldn't have done it. No. Um, Tom Cruise. Oh. No. Oh no. And Robert Downey Jr. Okay. Mm, yeah. Just thinking yeah. Of, a, of a young Robert Downey Jr. in Avengers, I can. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I could see it. I, I think Matthew Broderick is absolutely the right choice, though. Yeah. Like he's, he's just sort of very friendly shaped, and I think that's really important to um to to Ferris. Mm-hmm. He's to the, so good looking as well, isn't he? There is that. Yeah. And you know, you, you what? He has to be someone that you believe everyone would like. Someone would go and paint, say, Ferris on the side <laughs> of a, a water tower. Um, and I think Matthew Broderick absolutely encapsulates that. Uh, in order to keep the savage Rottweiler focused on Ed Rooney, John Hughes had Jeffrey Jones carry a raw steak in his jacket pocket <laughs> during those scenes. <laughs> I love that dog because you could just tell he was the goodest of boys yeah. and he had been trained to do his best growl and yeah. he was doing his best growl. So he's like, and... oh, you ready? Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just looked at it and thought, Cujo. Yeah, it was a little Cujo, yeah. Um, at one point in this film, there was going to be a line where Ferris was going to say, quote, come next year, I'll be the first kid to ride on the space shuttle, end quote. Uh, it was even mm. in the preview for these oh. films, but unfortunately, um, mm-hmm. five months before oh. the film was due to release, the Challenger uh, rocket exploded, 
uh, killing all seven on board, including a school teacher, uh, Christina McCall. Mm. Thank you. Um, because of this, John Hughes had the preview recalled from theatres, and the line was edited out of the film, which is which fair is enough. A little, little bit sort of a la Sam Raimi's Spider Man. Yes, with the uh, cap- twin towers. Yeah, the twin mm. towers were going to be mm. used to for a web to catch a helicopter, and they went. That's, that's not Maybe big. not. Yeah, that's, that was a good choice, and I think this was a good choice as well. While Sir Paul McCartney did like this film, he disliked the use of the Twist and Shout um, song in that sequence uh, for its inclusion of brass instruments. <laughs> Upon hearing uh, McCartney's reaction, John Hughes said that he felt bad for, quote, offending a Beatle, but it wasn't really part of the song. We saw a band and we needed to hear the instruments, end quote. <laughs> I didn't mind it. I also I didn't write it. I'm not one of the Beatles, so maybe Yeah, well that's yeah. that's true. You have to sort of remove yourself and say, Well, he's feels personal about it. Okay, fair mm. enough. But yeah, Paul McCartney liked the film, just just not the bit with him in it, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they've Linda <laughs> They've used bloody brass. That's that's what Ringo wanted. Oh, they've ruined it. <laughs> um It's very good. It is. Mm. Jeffrey Jones was cast as Rooney based on his performance in 1984's Amadeus, where he played the Emperor. Uh, <laughs> John Hughes thought that the character's modern equivalent was Rooney. Okay. I, I, I have to go back and watch s- Amadeus now. I, I don't mm. think the Emperor's really a, a Rooney. No, I don't think so either. The, the Emperor doesn't go around chasing Mozart, going like, <laughs> I'm going to catch him. <laughs> uh, he can't be writing all those songs. Salieri's right! <laughs> Uh, Charlie Sheen said a few years later that watching his one scene in the film made him want to quote punch himself in the mouth end quote no, I feel like that about two and a half men so yeah. I understand mm. yeah but now apparently he wasn't I thought it, thought it was a, a decent performance I thought it was fine but I guess he looked at it and went nah <laughs> could, could have done better which is I mean it's basically how he looks the whole way through <laughs> Platoon so yeah. how does he feel about that film yeah and uh, finally, Ben Stein, who plays the economics teacher in this movie, graduated from Columbia University in 1966 with honours in economics. Anyone? Uh, Anyone? Uh. Economics? <laughs> yes, no, he, uh, he, he, knew, he knew how to play that role. There was another bit of trivia which I, I didn't include, but basically he had a six degrees of separation to get cast in the film, where, like... He knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy um, who knew John Hughes. Mm. But the first guy he knew in that sequence was Richard Nixon. Oh, Oh, wow. So it was like he knew Richard Nixon and Richard Nixon had introduced him to someone involved in films. And basically that guy knew that um, they were looking for someone to play a boring economist and he went i know ben <laughs> but yeah so it, he, he explained there was this like chain of events where it was like oh, basically dear. from richard nixon he knew <laughs> how to get in this film which is just the weirdest wildest way that anyone i think has been cast in a film <laughs> now i, I have Except a question um was it ali emery uh in oh full, yeah full yeah. metal jacket yeah. and mm. he was doing demo reels for the people actually auditioning that's right. uh, by yelling yelling things while people were throwing things at him mm. and they were like oh he's so good let's just give him the part yeah well he <laughs> he was a drill instructor mm. or drill sergeant um i have a question for you guys yes did my letting you know that alan ruck was 30 years old at the time of filming this as you know part of cameron did that in any were you like going through the movie going 30 years old He's now 65. How does that compute? 
I was thinking during, and I was like, God, he does not look at 30. Mm. Uh, that was coming across my mind a few times, but... Because um, he yeah, really aged. He, yeah. he, he he sort of like fell off a cliff yeah. pretty quick. Yeah, yeah well, so he was probably in a Ferrari that got kicked off. Mm. That cliff. Um, <laughs> Went to military school. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe that was uh, the thing, you know. Yeah. The f- the f- it, did, it didn't put me off, partly because I knew it from doing the trivia. Mm. Um, through doing research, I was like, oh yeah, like he was he was fairly old to be playing a high school student, but but he doesn't look it. No, like it's mm. it's not like other things where there's close to thirty year olds playing uh, high school students, and it's like, no, nah, that's that's not what a seventeen year old looks like. Um, he, yeah, I think it was partly like I think to be honest, his performance really sold it. Like he he played that sort of very down in the dumps, mopey sort of uh, adolescent really well. But also, like, his haircut, it, the, the way his, his features were as well, like, the way mm. his features sat just, just looked very young. Um, so, yeah, even though he was... I mean, we, we, we've all known people who are in their 30s who we've seen play younger and go, oh, yeah, no, I believe it. Uh, Dan Buckle of this parish uh, just just <laughs> played, a, a like, a 14-year-old in a play... And he's thirty, yeah. um, but he looks like a fourteen-year-old boy when when he shaves and gets the haircut right and adopts the mannerisms and stuff. Like it, yeah. it is doable. Well, well mm. Patrick's playing a twenty-two-year-old now as we speak. Oh, in Arcadia, yeah. which we've plugged before, and <laughs> we'll plug again. Although I believe it's finishing. It is. It is closing in an hour. Oh yeah, <laughs> two hours. So get in quick, folks. <laughs> yeah, get in real quick. Um, yes, no, but again, yeah, Patrick when he when he shaves and and. You know, goes to look younger. They they have. I guess what we're saying, Murray, is people like you and me just look old, and we can never return to our youthful looks. Oh, that's very sweet of yourself um, to, to to put yourself in in, in, in my category there, Stephen. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, no, it's just uh, as I say, I marvel every time I watch this film. Mm. Um, mm. Think to myself, God, that's uh, yeah. He's now sixty-five. He is. Yeah. Uh, so, with all that being said, it's time to score the film. And Carmen, you get to go first because it was your first time watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off. What would you give it out of ten? Uh, I'm going to go seven and a half uh, Pepsi can collection drives out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of Pepsi placement now that you've mentioned it. There was, actually. Yeah. It didn't bother yeah. me during the film. Maybe that's what it's meant to do. I'm, I'm, oh, okay. I don't like that as much. I'm just thinking, this was also the time when, when Pepsi and Coke were doing that we, that weird rivalry thing. Mm. And they just had the weirdest promotions. Like the, Pepsi had the one where you open the can and like money would come out or like prizes or tickets would come out or something right. like that. Yeah. God, there's some, there's some weird rabbit holes you can go down to. Yeah. Reading about the history of those companies during this time. Yeah. Uh, what about yourself, Murray? What would Ooh, you give it? Crikey. Um... I really enjoy this film. Won't make any bones about it. It's, as I say, one of my favourite teen comedies from the eighties, and it, it, as I say, probably resonates more with me than than others. I'm going to give it eight. Never to be lost miles off the Ferrari odometer. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So if I reverse my car, it doesn't take mm. those. Yeah. Because I'll be honest, I wasn't sure if that was going to work or not. <laughs> I thought it wouldn't, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, for me, I I enjoyed this film. I I think it's um, I think it's a really good example of of the vanilla milkshake of films. Like it, like <laughs> it, it is very inoffensive. Um, it's everyone is clearly having a good time, except for maybe Charlie Sheen who was awake for forty mm. hours. But but everyone, you know, like just just the stuff between um, 
Dean Rooney and Grace. Like, just them faffing around in the office and, like, her calling Jeannie an asshole after she leaves. <laughs> what a little asshole. Like, it's just... It, it is a really fun uh, film, and, and I enjoyed it a lot. So I, I'm going to give it seven... Oh yeah, <laughs> out of ten, uh, because uh, it was it was great. It was really fun, and um, yeah, I've just got like a nice, full feeling in my belly, like a vanilla milkshake now. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's been really really great to watch this film. So uh, mm. Carmen and Murray, thank you so much for joining me on the Cinema Catch Up Club. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. Uh, if you have got a day off and you're looking to fill it with uh, ooh, several film reviews, why, you can find those reviews on iTunes or Spotify or SoundCloud, wherever you get podcasts. You can find 200-plus uh, episodes where we review other films. Uh, we haven't done a lot of John Hughes, it strikes me. We haven't done Breakfast Club or Sixteen mm-hmm. Candles yet, but we have done... Uh, the Blues Brothers, which was mentioned today. So uh, go go back and listen to that one and any of the others you like uh, on your day off. Uh, we are also available to be found on Facebook. You can search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Uh, give us a like. Leave your own comments. Um, when was the last time you skived off? If you're skiving off right now while you're listening, uh, let us know. We, we want to be there with you. Uh, and, of course, uh, there is our Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash podcast For as little as a dollar a month, you can get some bonus features, um, some little extra tidbits that we do here and there. Uh, a rear Ferrari? Um, yes. No, we, what we will do is uh, Murray and I um, will will t- try and take the miles off a Ferrari uh, without mm. destroying it. And <laughs> um, we'll, we'll see how we go. We, we get a Ferrari each. And whoever does the least damage to it gets we'll, to keep the car. We'll have an angry Dr. Carmen there with daddy issues on hand. Just yeah, to... yeah. every time she kicks the car, we've got mm. to like, no, stop it rolling out the back. That'll be, that'll be super. Okay, yeah. let's do it. Okay, yeah. we're going to go do that. Uh, but until next time, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Enjoy oh, your vanilla milkshake. Yeah. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.